Welcome to the Woke Blokes podcast, hosted by Nick Sutherland from MindFit and Ryan Hassan from the Center for Healing. Let's get into today's episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Woke Blokes podcast. Ryan Hassan from the Center for Healing here, joined as always by Nick Sutherland. Nico, how are you, mate? I am very, very well. Thanks, buddy. How's the new house going, mate? You settled in yet? Yeah, we're probably, we've broken its back, broken the moves back. We're probably 80% in. So yep. I'm just uh, doing the important thing today, setting up the man cave. Uh, ah, which is, right. which is very important for men's health, which uh, we'll, we'll talk about later. Mate, your um, segues are out of control. They're just like, they? I know I, I tell they? you every week, but they're so good. They're so good. I know. I, it's just a gift. I don't know where it came from. It might be um, genetic. Maybe, maybe you are in your genealogical line. There was someone who was one of the original um, like news anchors or on an original game show or something, and they would throw to other programs really well, and you've just maybe. picked that up. Maybe my ancestor is the man who created the word segue. Yeah, John Segway the third. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how's uh, how's Chiang Mai? Chiang Mai, moved, yes, moved everyone. I've little... got a different background for those watching on YouTube. Yeah, we've moved from Koh Samui to Chiang Mai. Um, it's it's great here. The move was hectic. Like, let me just you know f- fill you in. So we were meant to move on Saturday, and so we we said our goodbyes at Samui. We got our itinerary with the ticket, the plane stuff. And um, we get dropped off at the airport, plenty of time. We go up to check our baggage in for the plane. And the lady, Melissa, not just to put the blame on Melissa because I didn't check either, but she's looked at our itinerary and she's gone, oh, you're, uh, you're at the wrong airport. And we're like, there's only one airport on Kosovo. She goes, yeah, this is the airport from the mainland. <laughs> so we, we booked the complete wrong tickets. And so we're like, they're like, oh, we don't do actually any direct flights from uh, Samui to Chiang Mai. You have to go through Bangkok. So there was a little like uh, Bangkok Airways stall, which I ran into. I'm like, have you got any flights to get to Chiang Mai? Like, we can get you to Bangkok, but there's none for the rest of the day going to Chiang Mai. So you'd have to get there and then find another airline to get to Chiang Mai. And I'm like, sweet, when's this plane going to Bangkok? They're like, right now. I'm like, all right, give us the fucking tickets. So they've got the tickets. <laughs> we're checking the baggage in. Melissa's got Tommy. Um, we're, we're running to the fucking plane. There's people waiting for us. We finally get on the plane, but we're going to Bangkok and not Chiang Mai, <laughs> right? So we, we, we get to Bangkok and I start, get our baggage and start looking going to different airlines in the airport, trying to say, hey, have you guys got a flight to Chiang Mai at some stage today? And um, none of them did. And by this time, Tommy hasn't had a proper nap. He's hungry. He's having full tantrums in the airport, like full laying on the ground, like, ah, like tantrums. <laughs> and um, uh, so we had to get a hotel for the night in Bangkok. So we booked one just near the airport, fucking Novotel, quite expensive. It was nice though. And um they like stuffed up my, my dinner order. It was just, it was a funny two days. And the next day, so that night I'm online trying to book a flight for the next day from Bangkok to Chiang Mai. So I'll find one at 10 o'clock. The next day we get our shit together, get ready. And then um, rock up to the check-in with plenty of time. And I'm like, yeah, we're going to Chiang Mai. And they look at us and our luggage and they're like, oh, this is a like carry-on. There's no checked baggage uh-huh. on this flight. We've got like 70 kilos. We've got a whole, our whole life <laughs> in our suitcases. <laughs> so they're like, oh, you're going to have to pay. I'm like, I don't care. Like, I'll pay it. We just need to get on this flight. And like the, the young fellow, they had to call his superior over. She was on the phone to her superior. We were at this check-in for about 50 minutes until the checkout closed. They were trying to work out like how to make it work. And I'm like, just make it work. Like, I'll fucking pay. So we ended up, we had to check two main bags and take the rest as carry-on. So I've got two suitcases, a backpack, a bag full of Tommy stuff, and Melissa's got Tommy. 
and we go to like pay it cost me like twice as much for the luggage as it did for the flight and like the card wasn't working i had to use another card it was just classic like running to the gate you know they were calling our name over the loudspeaker in the airport like ryan jeffrey hassan melissa melissa um because we were in such a frantic rush when we went through security like we had like open water bottles and shit in the backpack that we forgot about so i had to pull us aside and pull out all of our baggage and go through that and then we finally get to where we have to go to the gate and it's like, uh, you know, that the signs in the airport, it's like gate G5. I'm like, oh, that's us. And it has an arrow to the left, it says 680 meters. This fucking gate's at the opposite end of the airport from where we are. So we run down um, with the baggage. It was classic, like engines are on, everyone in the plane is just waiting for us to take off. We finally walk in, I'm like, sorry, 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 sorry. Put our baggage up and we finally uh, get our way to Chiang Mai. And then we get a uh, taxi to the place we're staying. The taxi driver got lost, it took us about half an hour to get here. So well, we finally got here, but it was a very stressful couple of days. Hey, Glenn, what, what time are you having dinner tonight? <laughs> that was the longest fucking story you've ever told. Did I, you I not enjoy it? Gonna... Did you not enjoy it, though? No. No. <sighs> I'm, I'm even contemplating cutting that whole segment out. <laughs> I think people honest. will find that funny. Mm, find I, funny. I think you need to listen to it again. All right. And... Well, I'm the one who edits it, so I'll listen back and I'll decide whether it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'll decide to cut it out. But Glenn, more importantly, uh, let me welcome our guest. We have Glenn Paul, CEO of the Australian Men's Health Forum. Glenn, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having us, guys. It's uh, great to be in your world. Did you Where think are, that we're... story was all right about the airport? Oh, come on, mate. Don't make, make me take sides this early on. <laughs> that, that means you're on Nick's side. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Where, uh, where, where are you from? It was in the motherland, Glenn. Where are you from originally? Uh, so I grew up in, the, uh, in working class northern England. So yep. uh, a seaside town called Blackpool. Um, oh, which is thanks, kind of Blackpool. Like, I describe it to Oz as like, um, like the Gold Coast, but not as classy, you know? Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. And, and a bit um, colder. But yes, uh, and then people will know it as being, um, they'll know Manchester and Liverpool, so it's about yeah, 50 yeah, yeah. miles. It's, it's the this, it's this sort of working class seaside holiday town for that's close to Manchester and Liverpool. Yeah, beautiful. So when did you move to Australia? Uh, uh, officially five years ago. Um, my, my, my other half moved out here 25 years ago, so she's, we've got, she's got a long connection here. Uh, and I've been coming backwards and forwards for oh, probably about 10 years now. Um, so yeah, I had right. a connection with um, particularly the men's health sector over here for, for a good mm-hmm. 10 years. Mm-hmm. So what kept, what kept you with one foot in England and, and one foot over here? Uh, being a dad. So, um, and, and, you know, so, so what got me into uh, this world of work? Uh, so my daughter's um, 23 now. Uh, and I was a full-time at-home dad in the late 90s, which was mm. it's still unusual to have the dad be the full-time carer, but mm. um, it was even more unusual back then. Um, so I did a, a lot of work sort of um, just promoting um, the needs of, um, you know, at-home, at-home dads uh, when, I, when, I, when I was first a dad. Um, and then became a separated dad. Uh, I went through the family court. So then got interested in the needs of, of separated dads, you know, always mm-hmm. starting from my own personal needs first, as a lot of people mm-hmm. do. So my own, my own lived experience of, uh, mm-hmm. of, of, of the challenges of, uh, of, of being, of being, being a bloke. Um, and then from there got more broadly interested in the other factors, just fatherhood in general, than all the other aspects of, of, of being a man, whether it's boys education or men's physical health, men's mental health and so on and so forth. 
Um, and yeah, I had a long-term, um, long-term commitment um, to to be there bringing up my daughter. So, um, so it was my, it was bringing up, bringing up my daughter, which kept me in the, kept me, kept me in England. Uh, and um, now she's, uh, now she's off being a grown-up and doing her own thing. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm over here in uh, Australia, and as, as you can tell by my accent, I'm a ridgy didge, born again Queenslander. <laughs> you know, so I'm, I'm amazed you picked up on my English accent at all. <laughs> well, it's only very faint. I, I have a good ear. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, that could have been ear. You thought it was a Kiwi accent at first. <laughs> oh, I, I did. Shut up. <laughs> hey, Glenn. I, 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 I years ago when I first got into this, I um, I looked up the definition of health because I, I didn't know what it was, and I came across the World Health Organization's definition, which health is a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. And I loved that last bit. It's not merely the absence of illness. It's not merely the absence of um, a, an issue. It's, it's being able to flourish. It's not just being in survival mode. It's actually being in a position to contribute and to aid others and all that sort of stuff. So questions straight off the bat for you. Um, do you think people are doing enough to look after their own health or, or are we outsourcing it? Are we codependent on governments and government systems? What are your, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, like I'd, we are. I, th- I think that there's, there's two broad ways of looking at health as, as, it, as, as either an individual responsibility and an individual resource. <laughs> Or, or a collective responsibility and a collective resource. And the reality is it's both. Yeah. You know, people get into these really sort of like, you know, binary kind of arguments like we do over so many things, um, whether it's politics or gender or what, what you know, any, any issue you can imagine. We fall very simply into that kind of, you know, there's, there's, mm. there's one thing or another. The fact is it's both. The fact is that we blokes will most likely um, live longer and be healthier than than English or Aussie blokes who were born a hundred years ago, mm-hmm. and it's not because we're better, and it's not because we even necessarily take better care of our health. It's because collectively, what's provided to us that keeps us healthy mm-hmm. is 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 better than we were given a hundred years ago. The, sy- exactly the, the system same. supporting the health. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So so you're very much shaped by the conditions you're born into, and you mm-hmm. know that that's that's it's unavoidable. And you know the statistics are stark, and it's not just between. It's not just like over 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 time, like now compared to a hundred years ago, from country to country. You know, we're not we're not morally superior than than a bloke of the same age born in Africa who'll end up dying earlier. It's just that we were born into a different setting and different different yeah, different context. We're we're not. You know, um, I, I was born in working class England, and my my town. Uh, has the lowest health expectancy for blokes of anywhere in England, right? So, am I am I personally uh, a less healthy individual than my mates who were born in, in in the rich south of England? No. If I'd stayed there, the chances are um, I, I I would have ended up dying younger and being unhealthier because of the surroundings. Now, mm. now there are some people who would deny that, and some people, some, if you take the position that health's all about your individual responsibility, then you have no appreciation, no gratitude, and no understanding of how privileged you are uh, to actually have been born in whatever time you were born. Because you can guarantee, even if you're born in the poorest family in Australia, you're still in, in a better circumstance, broadly speaking, than someone who was born 100 years ago or someone born in another country. 
So, so it's, a col- it's, a col- it's a collaborative effort then. It's a, yeah. We, we yeah. have a sense yeah. of responsibility to ourselves, um, but when, when we are lacking in our capacity or our ability, then there are systems to support us as well. Yeah, totally. And the other is also true because at the end of the day, you're the one that makes the decision. I'm the one that makes the decision whether I put that cigarette in my mouth mm-hmm. or whether I, whether I sit down all day and don't exercise or whether I eat crap or eat well, you know, or, or whether yeah. I take action to deal with issues in my relationship or whether I take action to manage, manage my mental resilience or whether mm. I do reach out and access, access the help and support that's there. So it's both. But, but it's very, I think the, the mistake we often make is we just look at the individual first rather than looking at what the, what, what the, what, what the collective sort of, you know, collective forces are. And those can be major collective forces. It's like we're in the middle of a pandemic. We are probably going to end up having a massive financial crash and already the reports are coming out, which is going to have a massive impact on, on particularly male working class em, em, employment, blue collar blokes. There's going to be huge strain that will impact their health. They have no control over those economic circumstances. Mm. However, they individually have control over the action they take to to, to respond to that. Well, it's all, the, it's, it's all the stimulus in the world, and we get to choose whether we are to learn how to be mindfully respond to it or whether we just stay completely reactive and, and let the state of everything dictate how we feel so much. Totally. And, I, I, and some I, of us, for whatever reason, have have more resources to actually make those individual choices, right? Yeah. Well, Ryan, Ryan and I have got them, but we learned the hard way. <laughs> so, um, and and yeah. I, asked, I asked that question because of a uh, – so Christine Morgan, we had her on the podcast. Um, she's the um, CEO of the National Mental Health Commission and the Suicide uh, Prevention Advisor to the PM. And uh, – so last year she came down to where I am in south of Melbourne um, and held a bit of a town hall thing and because and, she's trying to create a 10-year pathway for, for mental health in Australia and just asked, was, went around the whole country asking people, you know, how's the system? How's the system working for you? And I took a few clients with me and we sat there and we listened and the clients said afterwards they were shocked. They were actually shocked at how... Everyone was like, the system's not doing enough for us. You, we need more. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? So the, the, there's this real sense of outsourcing their happiness. Um, and yeah, so I, it's, it, is, it is definitely a collective. But from my perspective, I think we need to start doing more. And, and Ryan and I talk about it all the time to tend to our own garden as well. But it seems to be, I love your thoughts on this, Glenn. It seems to be kind of one pole or the other uh, at the minute. So especially with us guys, we're either um, completely neglectful of our physical and mental health and we're like, she'll be right. No, I won't go to the doctor till I'm literally falling over from a heart attack kind of thing. So we're at that extreme. And then you have the people like at this town hall meeting, Nick, and I've seen it as well, where they're like, fix me, fix me, fix me, fix me. And like, Mm -hmm. give me more. So we've got like this no personal responsibility at all and neglect of yourself over here. And then this, everyone else, I'm outsourcing that getting better to, to everybody else. So it's like, I feel I'm, like I'm, entitled, to, I'm, entitled I'm entitled to, to getting treatment. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah. I think we need to meet in the middle somewhere, Glenn, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, and those are different ways of responding, right? I mean, the first one you're describing is really, it's, um, it's a, a lack of a, I would say in broad terms, it's a lack of awareness. It's actually a yeah, complete totally. avoidance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so, and, and it's, it's, 
that's those are quite sort of like um both kind of like in very simple terms negative masculine and negative sort of feminine kind of manifestations of how to do health it's a really good so, description yeah yeah so and you could describe them as uh they're sometimes described as having agency and, and having agency and having communion right so having agency is taking responsibility but having having communion is the ability to be dependent on others right mm -hmm. and both of those are important that ability to take care of yourself and the ability to be taken care of are both important. And if you can have those in equal measure and have the awareness to choose when to lean into which of them, then you're in a really good place. Well, but it creates that in interdependence then, doesn't it? It creates that I'm right. self-sufficient, but I can lean on resources when needed. That's right. But the reality is most of us tend to be more towards one, one, one pole of being in independent and mm. or, or being dependent, you know, dependent on others now both of those can manifest in really healthy ways so it's actually really what we're talking about a lot here is the importance of being self-reliant taking responsibility having agency um which at its most extreme suddenly tips over into man up drink a cup of concrete don't be such a don't be such a pussy you know it, it can become that and what you are a queenslander is, yeah there you go <laughs> you use you... oh the queensland internet's just frozen just frozen yeah, that's all right. Yeah, it's making me think, uh, Nick, what you're saying. You've noticed. Um, <laughs> yeah, just go boating camping. Yeah, T just to complete. So when that then tips over, I'm just pausing just for the internet to, to catch back There we up. go. You're back yeah. up. Yeah, I am in rural Queensland. So, you know, um, <laughs> MBM struggles up here. Um, <laughs> but that agency can become what's known as hyper agency right which is or unmitigated agency where you have no capacity to actually reach out and get help in fact worse than that you have no capacity to even acknowledge that there's anything wrong and that's mm. what you're describing right you know mm -hmm. it won't go to the doctors until you're literally your legs falling off and you can't move or whatever it's like like the monty python skit where it's like come back and fire you lost an arm no i haven't yeah, just, exactly. a, just a flesh wound. <laughs> totally, totally that. Totally that. But then, it, see, the other end of the scale, you're talking about these people who are saying, "I'm someone. I'm a victim. I need. Uh, I need someone to fix it for me." It's. I need someone to fix your internet. It is. Um, it, it's not well, fair. You've got to help me. It is a sense of helplessness, isn't it? It is a it's a it's a survival mode. It's a I'm so disempowered. I don't have access to any internal tools or resources. The emotional intelligence is non-existent. There's no capacity to self-manage, self-regulate, um, or just to look after ourselves. So and then we can't look after anyone else around us because we're just trying to get the next breath. Totally. And I think what you're pointing to is is I would call those sort of um, unhealthy masculine and unhealthy feminine tendencies and, and mm. coming from the perspective that masculine and feminine tendencies can arise in both men and, and women mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. I, and i think we're very good now at, in the mental health space uh, at calling out those unhealthy masculine tendencies but we're not very good at calling out those unhealthy feminine mm. tendencies mm. and what we don't want is a bunch of people are completely helpless completely dependent on others not being able to stand up and, and that's where you get high levels of like, you know, and, and anxiety in, in, in particular, as I, as I, as I understand it, is that, that, so that, yeah. that kind of, you get, you know, we know, we talk a lot about now about the men's mental health crisis and we know that suicide is clearly far higher in men, but we never talk about the fact 
when, and we talk about that in terms of you know being unhealthy or a manifestation of unhealthy or toxic masculinity but we never identify the fact that women still manifest more mental health issues and we don't say ah oh, well that's because you know toxic femininity or unhealthy femininity we just we, we just accept that so there's there's a real kind of like mismatch in how we sort of respond to to men having mental health issues and women women having mental health issues and there is that mm. tendency with women to say it's someone else's it's society's fault it's 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 someone else's fault you know it's a yeah. eating disorders would be a great example we say and there may be truth it's it's societal pressure that creates eating disorders but when we look at kind of like that that that's um that masculine unhealthy masculine where the bloke won't get help is too self-reliant too independent we don't focus on how society is creating that we we, we talk about him being a dick and having to change and being toxic and, and that, that that codependency just as you said perpetuates this unhealthiness because we're in a constant state of anxiety because we're worried that it's going to leave us and you know my mental health was uh after i left the military and and i was trying to link it with veterans affairs um and so i was I became codependent on them to the point where I developed agoraphobia and I couldn't even leave my house to check my letterbox. That's the anxiety just ramped up that much. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an, and then it puts such a strain on the system and then we throw more money at the symptom instead of putting the money in education and trying to attend to the root cause and get people out of their cognitive distortions and just blaming everyone and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, yeah, we've landscape. spoken about it before, Nick. It's like when we are looking at improving our health and not just our mental health, physical, emotional health as well. It's like it's this, you link in with a professional and you're on this journey together. You know, it's this, it's this dynamic relationship mm. and you're both moving forward. But a lot of us, when we get in that codependent relationship, it's like we're rocking up to a mechanic and we're a machine and we're just like, all right, I'm parking myself here. Yeah, fix me. Tell me when I'm done. <laughs> oh, oh, that's why I changed my business model, Glenn. I, I was, I've been a practitioner for 13 years, I think. No, a bit less. Um, and, and I was just doing counselling for you know, about seven or eight of those years. And then it just struck me that... I was helping people out of their suffering, but I was just enabling them to stay in their pattern. So next time something bad happens, they'd be back to see me. And but they kept turning up, going, "Fix me, fix me." His house was just talking yeah. about. It's like, oh, I'm I'm hurting. I'm sore. Fix me." And Wave the wand. Oh, yeah, where's your magic wand? Yeah. Where's the magic pill? And I got fucking sick of it, to be honest. So yeah. I outsourced them. And- for, for, I don't want to be. I don't end up colluding with you too much, but it's just reminded me of one particular uh, one particular story I had of someone I knew years ago who had a therapist who was like, "You really have to come and see me twice a week. It's really it's essential. Oh. Once oh. a week's not enough for the level of what you're dealing with. It needs to be twice a week, every single week. Oh, except in the school holidays because I take thirteen <laughs> weeks off to be with the kids." <laughs> Hey, I had a thought the other day, Ryan and, and Glenn, I'd love both of your opinions on this. So we've got the, the mental health care plans here, so psychologists can see clients. It struck me the other day that they don't have to be good because there's that funding there where psychotherapists like Ryan and myself, we don't get that funding. So we have to we've got this accountability if we, if we want to eat that night we have to be good at what we do i was i was reading literally this week nick uh something about that and it's like yeah and this is not to poo poo because i know a lot of psychologists who are fucking amazing yeah, yeah, same. but it's like yeah, yeah. You, you go through and you can get a qualification because you've learned the information you've been taught that doesn't yeah. mean that you've embodied 
that yourself. Like if you want to become a Jungian analyst, you have to go through four years of analysis yourself with a very experienced analyst, plus learn all the information through the course. So you really have to embody the principles as opposed to just, okay, I've learned that material and now I can start seeing people. Yeah. yeah and you know, this is where we need to build health literacy. So it's like, we, you, you talked about emotional literacy and you know, we could look at, that's really important, but I, I, I'll talk about health literacy. And we've got mm -hmm. this very low level um, kind of view of health literacy, which is just about, it's informational. It's like, if people, and this is how a lot of preventative health happens. It's like, if people just have the right, you know, bits of knowledge, information, then they therefore will act on it. But having knowledge doesn't mean to say that you can, you can, you can act on it. What you need to be able to ideally, the next level is sort of interactive literacy where you're able to sort of like, you know, take on board, especially in this day and age, take on board many bits of information and then interpret them and decide which ones apply best to you. Um, and then there's a point where you become like, I, I forget what the phrase is, but it's, but, but, and I'm having active health literacy, let's say, where not only are you able to, to um, make sense of loads of different information, but you're able to act on it and advocate for yourself and for others, right? So it, it's like what we need to advocate for, I believe, is, is and I, you know, I say this to blokes so much, is that, and it happens so much with blokes, and blokes often will show up uh, with a social issue rather than a mental health issue. They'll, sh they'll show up at a service because they're dealing with a family breakdown or because they're homeless mm. or they've got financial issues or, 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 or whatever. They often don't show up presenting the root problem. Right. Uh, and a classic version would be, you know, child, childhood sexual abuse, which happens to many more boys than we actually we actually are aware of or accept. Yeah. But you'll find those guys will show up in homeless services, drunk, drug and alcohol services in prisons and all different places. They'll show up with an, with an externalizing acting out problem. Uh, they won't. They will very rarely show up saying, hi, I was sexually abused as a boy. I need to get I need, I need to get I need to get help. Um, but often those guys will reach out once get a terrible response for whatever mm -hmm. reason. And then they'll, they'll then live inside a story that says, well, Oh, it's just getting to inside the story. I tried to get help once and it was, it was, you know, it didn't make any difference. There's no point. Yeah. So it's like, it, 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 it takes, no, it came through in the end, but it, it, cause it takes so much for people in that situation. It takes so much guts to open that can of worms. Cause we've kept the lid on it so long. And that's yeah. why, people present with drug and alcohol problems uh, in prisons and that kind of thing because they've suppressed that for so long. And then we let that can open to someone and we don't get um, the compassion or anything that we uh, we need. So that lid goes back on even tighter than before, like you said. And and that's the thing, right off that's the the thing with, clinic, with clinical therapists though. The, you know, the, the three keys to a positive therapeutic outcome is rapport, hope and change. And, and all I'm hearing from... 80% of my clients that have been access services elsewhere is there's, there's no rapport anywhere. It's, it's like I can't get in for ages. The person sitting there just behind their clipboard that's just a, um, do this quiz or take this test. There's actually no empathy employed. There's no compassion. There's no um, engagement. It's no, you know, so when, as a system, we're not creating an environment where people are going to come and, and unburden themselves yeah correct and I, i've heard this i mean and obviously this is not true of all all practitioners no. but the really common story if you spend any time talking to to, to to people like yourselves you hear it you know hear it so many times and so where we want to really try and get to a is the kind of like is is that this holy grail of no wrong door 
so that wherever an individual shows up in the system, they get they get the support they need at that point and then pointed in the right direction. Mm. Um, but then individuals are aware that there are many different ways to, 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 to there are many different journeys to health. There's many there different flavors of pizza, your, isn't there? Yeah, your health, your health matters. And, and if the first bit of help that you get isn't right, it doesn't mean to Try say again. that all health isn't right. The boys at Trademark up in Queensland, I don't know if you've come across them at all, but um, one yes. of them, Dan said, um, you know, it's like if, if you love pizza and, and you move to a new suburb and you go to a pizza shop and you get a shit pizza, you're not just going to give up on pizza. You're going to go looking totally. for a new pizza shop. So you're going to keep yeah. trying. Never hey, give up on pizza, ever. Don't give up. R- riddle me this one, Glenn. How can people look after their mental health if the majority don't realise that we all have mental health? How, 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 how can people go, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not feeling great internally, emotionally, whatever, I'm a bit more reactive, or, I'm go- oh, yeah, my mental health's probably out of shape. I'm going to go and have it check in with someone. Yeah, it's, a, it's one of the weirdest statistics, which whatever it is right now, but, you know, one in four people will experience mental health issues in their life. <laughs> That's nonsense. A hundred percent of people. <laughs> One in four people will experience physical health issues in their lifetime. We all experience physical health yeah, issues and yeah. we all experience mental health no, issues. You're preaching yeah. to the converted. Yes, love it. But one of the, to, to strike a positive note, I think one of the, one of the real positives um, that's come out of, uh, the, the, of the pandemic is that it's made us confront collectively mm. what are the things that actually keep us well. You know, so people have actually been recognizing the value of obviously the value of having work, mm-hmm. um, but, but the value of, of all those kind of loose social connections, whether it's going down the pub, going to the bolo, going to a sports match, going to a church, whatever it is for you. Uh, and the importance of, you know, all the advice we're getting on how to stay well during, during the pandemic is baseline mental health. It's social mm-hmm. connections. It's meaningful work. It's it, it's. Well, well it's bring it's br- it's brought to the surface everyone's distortions and disturbances, and because they haven't got their usual distractions to mask it or anything, they're having to deal with their shit. So yeah. you know, every every con has a pro, um, and I think that's just a big takeaway for me from COVID is that people are finally. Ah, I have a mind, and if I don't actually condition it and train it to operate well, I am not going to feel well. Ah, ding, penny drops. Yeah, totally. So we did um, with the Australian Men's Health Forum. Uh, we, we we often do sort of broad sort of awareness raising stuff that we encourage people to get involved and have conversations. Um, and pick different times of the year. So World Mental Health Day in October. Last couple of years, we've done a lot of stuff around just those big, hard-hitting statistics and just getting people aware of facts and figures, which has been really great and really useful and gets people talking about stuff. But uh, but it's, 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 it's more focusing on the problem. Um, but there's too know. much awareness now. There's too, I think there's too yeah. much awareness and not enough education and change. Totally. So th- this year we did something slightly different where we just, we just create, we created a, a series of articles uh, on, you know, 10 habits of mentally healthy men. Um, mm. And that, that was really interesting, just to completely flip the thinking mm-hmm. away from that kind of pathology model of let's, let's have all the data on what's wrong, how many men suicide, how many have depression, how many go to a psychiatrist, all that kind of stuff. And just start that conversation about what are the things that keep us as, as, as mentally well. 
And I think one of the, we have seen a shift, in, you know, before we came on air, you were saying about the shift in the last 20 years. It's important to remember that just bringing mental health into the public sphere, where we are now is in a far, far better position mm, than we were totally. 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. The other barrier, so we've broken this, this invisible barrier of it's something you mustn't talk about, it's a stigma. Mm. Now, the other barrier we need to break down is just the idea that, you know, just a str this ridiculous idea that our body and our mind are separate and that, you know, physical <laughs> health and mental health are these two completely separate components. Because I was, talk I was talking to a client the other day about how weird it would be if people were ashamed of having diabetes. Like, it's, yeah, right. I'm going to hide diabetes, I'm going to mask yes. it, I'm going to, oh, no, I can't tell anyone I've got diabetes. It's just, you can hear how irrational it is when you try and separate your mental health and your physical health. So, um, yeah, I think yeah. with, with you know, we talk obviously a lot on the show, Nick, like on an individual basis. So if you're working with an individual, at first you have to become aware of it. Like you can't, you can't change what you're not aware of. So once someone's yeah. aware of an issue, then we start moving into the education or the therapy process and start to move someone forward. So if our collective was a human being, which it is, it's a one big entity. It's like, mm -hmm. we've, I think we're just now shifting from the awareness phase into the education phase. Now the collective before stuff we can get into longer. Before we can get into that, we have to hit on acceptance. So a lot of people are aware that they're unwell, but these blokes are still burying their head in the sand because they're not willing to accept mm -hmm. that they need to do something about it. Men, you know, have this, I should be able to fix it. It's when when their partner comes from with the problem, oh, Dale, you know, oh, this happened. Oh, fucking let me at him or bring it here or get the screwdriver. Or We're always in fix-it mode. And, and so when we present as, you know, not operating properly, we tend to think we should be able to fix ourselves, but we can't. So maybe collectively we're just moving into the acceptance phase. And unfortunately, collectively that, that, you know, can take years to move to the education phase as opposed to individually, it can happen a lot faster. But I think, you know, we're, we're moving in the right direction. Like this like a, a podcast on mental health, like wouldn't have, there wouldn't have been a radio show about mental health 30 years ago, you know, it just, just wouldn't have been a yeah. thing. Yeah, and it's a really interesting um, phase in history that we're, we're, we're going through, I think, because um, whilst in many ways uh, we are just collectively, depending what measure you use, right, but if you just take a simple measure like life expectancy, we're, we're, we're healthier than ever before, on average, right? Um, and, and that's maybe part of the reason why, um, why, why things like mental health become more more of a norm to talk about because we've got we've got longer to live where there's there's less things that make us unhealthy and, and, and on our expectations of what a good life is i mean i can just do, hear do you think that's that's a bit fudge though because the quality of that life at towards the end is often not very good we're, we're staying alive a lot longer than we we should really i think so there may be that period of extension, but there are people, you know, we, there, that, that window of where you're li living a poor quality life is going further and further into yeah, the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've obviously got all four of my grandparents alive, you know, so I'm, I'm pretty lucky. Yeah, and, and, and so we're now having to think about, you know, uh, what, what that sort of, what that stage of life is. is I'm, I've, I'm in my early 50s now. And so, you know, it really has shifted my thinking about thinking about what kind of life do I want in my 60s, 70s, 80s? I'm thinking like that. Whereas, you know, a generation yeah. or so ago, it would have been just about trying to accumulate as much pension as you can to make sure <laughs> you can afford to go in the care home and, you know. Brian and I are both in our 70s, so we, we get You're that. You're looking yeah. great, guys. Yeah, yes. you know, it's, 
the Thai sun and, and the Mornington Peninsula. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. But to, <laughs> to, 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 com, to, complete, to complete my thought process, um, so in some ways we're healthier than ever, and so our expectations yeah. are higher, and so then we're striving, for a, we're striving to solve things that in the past just would have been, uh, would, would have been ignored and swept under the carpet, right? Mm. But also a lot of the props that society created to keep us healthy um, have been weakened or disappeared. And those are things like, you know, um, uh, w- job, a job for life, for mm-hmm. blokes in particular, um, a, f- a marriage for life, uh, growing up in a town where all your family is and pe- everyone in your street knows you, so you have social connections and support. Now, those are three really basic things, you know, work, relationship, and, 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 and family. But now, most of us will not have the same job for two or three years, never mind a lifetime. Most of us uh, will not be in one single relationship our entire life. We'll go through a relationship breakdown. Many, many of us may have families, but have to have to bring up families in separate, separate households and deal with all that. And most of us won't grow up in the same street or town or even county or state uh, where we were born. So we'll have to go for the challenge of making new connections. And we haven't prepared people for that. But don't they also have pros as well? Like, um, if you stay in a toxic relationship, it, it, it can lead to heart disease and death. Um, if you oh. if you grow up moving around, it creates resiliency, and you've got to learn new skills. Of course, of course, but on, uh, but on 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 mass collectively, the the, mm. the 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 positives outweigh outweigh the negatives. Um, yeah. And, and and it always happens whenever you break down whenever you break down a, when you ever improve and break down a system you create new problems right so mm-hmm. is it better that people can can change careers of course it, and, and grow and develop and not just have to be a, a my very first job at the age of sixteen was in a was in a, 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 a like a department store in uh, in the in, in Brighton in England and if. For those who love old British sitcoms, there was one called Are You Being Served in the 70s, mm. which was in a department mm. store. It was just like Are You Being Served? And I, re- I remember my first Christmas party there, a bloke in a, in a brown dust jacket who worked just moving the boxes around, he, uh, he retired and he got, they gave him oh, something really spectacular, like a TV, a TV set. They got him a TV set for his retirement. He'd been there 50 years. So he joined that he joined that company when he was fifteen, moving boxes, and he left when he was sixty-five, moving boxes. Right now, I'm not making a moral judgment on whether that was good. He could have been the happiest guy in the world, yeah. for, all, for all I know. But that the the, the the he maybe never had any opportunity or any aspiration to do anything different. But the fact that you can grow and evolve, and you can start off moving boxes when you're fifteen, but end up, you know. President of the USA, or or, or, or or taking whatever career change, or going going to live in a different country, isn't that fantastic, right? Isn't it fantastic that if you're stuck in a toxic relationship, you can you can get out of that and be supported, and there not be stigma and shame that prevents you from doing well, that? Well, I think I, there needs to be that choice there. You know, it's a, it's William Glasser and his um, acceptance and commitment therapy, and whatnot. It's, you know having that sense of freedom that that choice is really critical I think. and that comes down to environment as well you know like if you grew up in an environment 50 years ago where you saw a lot of people being at the one job for 30 40 50 years mm. it's just kind of you model that or if you grew up in a very uh religious uh context where no one got divorced and people stayed together even though they fucking hated each other then you would generally mm. stay with the person that uh you're with but um 
Glenn, I want to touch on a couple of dot points because on the the Australian Men's Health Forum on the website it says. Uh, research shows the best way to improve men's health is to tackle the underlying social factors like boys' education, our experiences of fatherhood, our working lives, our social connections, and our access to male-friendly services. I'd love to maybe just get your uh, take on, on each of those, maybe one at a time, as to what we can be doing to, you know, what you guys are doing to start moving these things in the right direction. So the first one's boys' education. When it comes to men's health, what do we need to be teaching boys to so we grow up to healthy adults? So yeah, so th these are these are the collective responsibility pieces, right? So these these are the things that we can do collectively as a society to 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 spit out healthier individuals at the uh, at the other end of the sausage factory, right? Um, <laughs> if a sausage factory isn't an, an inappropriate metaphor what, for what a uh, visual for, for a men's health machine, right? Now I've got now I've got Ryan and his G string back to front in my mind again. Yeah, we, 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 we spoke yeah. about that before the show started, Nick, so that sounds a little bit weird now. <laughs> yes, completely out of context. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I roll. That's how I roll. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the G-String and Sausage Factory edition of this podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to stick with it. So, you know, if we consider society as a sausage factory, and there's certain things we can do along the process line to actually spit out healthier sausages, right? I.e. blokes. Um, in terms of when we talk about boys' education, we're not talking about going into schools and educating boys about their health. All we're saying is the evidence shows categorically that the better your education, the better your health. The longer you stay in school, the longer you live, right? Now, obviously there's exceptions to the rule, but basically we have a system that is consistently less effective at educating boys than it is at educating girls. And that's across every every class and every background and it gets exacerbated right down to the the, the boys that get the worst education out of the school system are are, are in, in australia are aboriginal boys and and, and 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 so and so if we don't actually acknowledge that collectively as an issue we can't address it but the school system hasn't changed in such a long time. The, the school system was created, and it's it's still fundamentally the same. It's this, but the the, the curriculum, like the, there's no there's no teaching at an early age to self -re emotional intelligence isn't on there. Isn't yeah, on this the is a different point, but this is a different point, right? Right. So, and it's valid. I'm not saying it isn't valid. Yeah, but yeah, I'm yeah, saying yeah. first and foremost, if we don't give boys a good education they will end up less healthy very broadly speaking and so there's a responsibility at a collective level to actively name that as a as, as a social issue and take action to address it and hold schools to account and school, hold the education system to account now in addition to that can schools be doing things like actually teaching us what health is what about about you know the importance of relationships the importance of emotional self-regulation all that stuff totally there's a massive opportunity when we've got all those little chipolatas keeping with the sausage factory <laughs> metaphor <laughs> on the production line we've got the, are we going to put loads of sort of like really rubbish additives in there are we going to fill it rich of like great organic matter which let's is let's just know, get the little fuckers meditating for starters shall we and yeah, but that, that, that education piece is really interesting, Glenn. It reminded me of a study I was reading about of prison inmates, and there was actually a direct correlation between the uh, how broad someone's vocabulary was 
And, and the, so the less their vocabulary was, the more likely they were to end up in prison. It was a very strong okay. correlation. So it's like, if I can't not just read and write, but express myself properly because mm. I have such limited vocabulary, then I'm going to run into these issues because expressing ourselves such an important part of life. And especially men have so much trouble already based on culture, expressing what we're feeling emotionally. But even just having the um, narrow vocabulary seems to run us into a lot of but issues. But that, that's where you can go back to the school and teach people how to label their emotions. Mm. Oh, this is anxiety. This is what anxiety feels like. This is what happiness is. It's feeling content. This is what frustration is. This is you know because a lot of blokes don't talk and open up and communicate because they don't know what to say. They don't know what they're mm. feeling. They don't know what experience they're in. So they just go bang, drink it away. Or and that's where it's, so there's also the education piece for the the females in their lives as well because they're naturally better at opening up and they're like, just tell me how you're feeling. But oftentimes <laughs> a man literally doesn't have the capacity or the words or the links between words and emotion to be able to express themselves, which leads to more frustration, more booze or, or whatever it is. Or if we've spoken, we've spoken about this before, or he'll start to open up and find the words and she'll just run him straight over <laughs> and start talking about her needs again. Yeah, totally. Um, and then the other piece you might get in education is is the and boys just boys upbringing generally is is the the, the lack of the lack of men in boys' lives, mm. uh, and that shows up in many ways. It shows up in in families where dads aren't around. It shows yeah. up in communities where there aren't very men involved, and and it shows up in schools where increasingly the majority of adults that you'll come across in schools are are, are women. So the lack of the lack, so 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 boys have a deficit of same-sex um, adult role models. So yeah, they can. And look, obviously, women can have a fantastic impact on on boys' lives, and 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 men can have a negative impact on boys' lives. It's not just like if you filled the school schools full of blokes that you would suddenly get loads of you know better educated boys. There's, it's not just about what 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 sex you are. Or, yeah. or, or what cultural background for no for boys of a cult I mean again with the Aboriginal boys the most underrepresented population in terms of teachers is yeah. is, is Aboriginal Aboriginal male teachers right so Aboriginal boys are the least likely to see an adult like them teaching them and so mm. where do you where do you learn how to become a man it's in in the first instance is by learning from the, the men that influence you when you're growing up. And if you have a that's, a whole, that's a whole other podcast, Glenn, because we, we, we've, sp we've spoken about that rite of passage and everything, haven't we, Has? Yeah, but I mean, that kind of leads on to, I suppose, that next point, Glenn, of our, our experience of fatherhood. And, you know, I see it. I've, I've got a boy now who's uh, two in a couple of weeks. And um, I will see that definitely. Like, he kind of likes everyone, but you'll see whenever we're out, like, I'm obviously his main um, male role model, but any other... Uh, adult men or even adolescent uh, boys kind of thing, you'll see him, he naturally gravitates towards them and he's more interested in them because he's sort of, he's just watching, just going, okay, how do you operate in the world? And it's, it's very noticeable that he's looking for other men to model as well um, as opposed to women. Yeah, and, and look, all these things we've listed are, are health-giving and can be health-giving and health-taking. They can be a health resource and a health risk. So good education for a boy, health resource. Lack of education, health risk fantastic for our experiences of fatherhood first and foremost is how we were fathered which carries with us through life and then it's how you know our own experiences of being a father as well again risk and resource really great relationship with your dad sets you up for life really bad relationship with your life 
sets you back a few a, a few stages and you may never mm. you may never overcome that or you'll have to work to overcome it and it'll certainly show up when you get into a relationship right um and then you know your own experience of being a father it's like becoming a father is a massive opportunity in terms of us being able to you know uh, help men shift to a to, to 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 a more evolved more emotionally aware more more, more healthy life because mm -hmm. at that point it's a right of, it's a major rite of passage and all of a sudden you, you for the first time in your life often you become responsible for another human being and men you know so often really grow up and show up at the point where they become fathers so it's well, a real opportunity to, to 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 grab that positive sort of motivator to to, to live a healthy positive life and do you see things the opposite end of the spectrum, Glenn? Like, do you see, I've spoken to many men around postnatal depression for the father, which is something that isn't often spoken about? Totally. I mean, even before that, um, infertility, um, men struggling to become fathers, you know, that's a space that's often we, 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 we're there caring for the woman, but we don't recognize that men go through that. Yep. Stillbirth and, 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 you know, losing your kids before, the, before they're born or, or, or early on. We there's very little work being done into the into how gr that grieving process impacts impacts men. Very very sensitive topic, but some people some people are brave enough to talk about it. Abortion. We very very rarely, of course, it's absolutely the women's right to make that decision. But some men are massively impacted, but uh, mm. by, by that when that happens. So, some aren't yeah, at very, all. very disempowering yeah. for those men because yeah. they have full, no choice yeah full disclosure I, I um when i was 18 it might have been 17 it was probably one of the first times i had sex but um yeah this this uh girl got pregnant and i remember at the time like being a 17 or 18 year old and she told me and then you know i remember in this park and she said oh i'm still making up my mind what to do and then she sort of walked home and i was sitting on this swing set in this park going holy shit the entire direction of my life is being decided out there and I feel like I have no say in it. And it was just this hmm. terrifying moment. And that, what yeah, you said before, sorry, Glenn, what, what you said before about that, um, you know, the, the street and having your family around, the, the old adage that it takes a village to raise a child as well. So that with families spread so far away and everything as well, that there's, there's not that connectedness, there's not that, that helping sort of raise this child as well. Yeah, which reinforces right going right back to your very opening question, which reinforces that kind of like those those lone individuals who who either go it on their own and won't accept they need help, or expect the system to help them. Mm. Uh, because we, yeah, we, we increasingly we are sort of like turned to get really kind of like political, you know, we're turned into individual consumers. And not mm -hmm. sort of uh, we don't grow up in collective tribes like we we used to. And I think that's one you know one of the one of the biggest opportunities for health is is the is is the growth of community resilience and the growth mm -hmm. of and we're seeing this one of the most exciting things I'm seeing in the men's health space in the last couple of years is this explosion uh, in Australia particularly of of grassroots men's mental health groups and organizations right which are, are, are doing it local they're, they're getting together around a barbecue or they're getting together for a walk on a friday or they're getting together for a meal once a month you know guys self-organizing into in, into loose support networks which mm. is really massively valuable and not simply relying on the old things we relied on which was like the pub and sports club and the workplace to bring those kind of and, and just the fact that we live in the same street we were born to give us those yeah. A beautiful thing I've been seeing lately is I've got a lot of young 
fathers come in to do some work because they've realised they've had a look at their habits and, and given themselves a bit of a an audit and, and not liked what's what's come out. So they've um, and and it's great. So they're coming because they 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 they've been handed down these emotional family heirlooms from their fathers and that they've realised that how ineffective or unhealthy or whatever they are, so they're coming and actually doing something about it because they realise that they don't want to pass this on. And I'm seeing that so much more there this, with this awareness. It's, oh, great, you know, I've got this tiny little role model here. Um, shit, I better go and sort this out so he doesn't get afflicted with this. Sure. Um, we're not really taught how to be in relationship. We're not really taught how to be parents and, and, and we're not really ready to be those things and either you can really struggle with it uh and just denying and or, or run away from it as, mm. as so often happens or you can embrace it as a massive opportunity for growth and a massive opportunity for learning i certainly know that you know i'm still growing and learning and evolving and the greatest you know the the, the greatest places for me to grow and evolve are in are in human relationships no, no better place because we're all we're all fucked up in some way, right? I had this client the other day, and he's like, "Oh, and I've just got to do this and this and this before I get into a relationship." And I'm like, "Just fucking get into a relationship, and you're gonna you're gonna grow infinitely more in there um, than out of it." So, yeah, oh, of course, relationships. Yep. Go on. Right. No, you're right, Glenn. Go for it, mate. Yeah, I just want to go back and click on on this sort of individual collective theme as well, just before we you know before we we move on from fatherhood. You mentioned postnatal depression. It's a really good example of how the system doesn't think of men, right? So every single mum in the country now is new mum to be is screened for a range of things like depression, whether they're at risk of domestic violence, and so on and so forth. So on mass, we the system reaches out and says, "How are you? Are you okay? Is there anything you need?" We don't do the same for uh, for, for for new dads. So it, it's, it, there's loads of ways when you actually look at how the system operates that it that, that it, it reaches out to women, and some of it's just biological, right? Some of it's and some some of it is not. It's not like some mass conspiracy, like there's some evil people sitting in a room and saying we shall reach out to the women, leave the sausages in their factory. Yes, in their sausage factory. Yes. But this, they, they layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. It's things like, you know, women having periods and then go, go, going to the doctors for, for, um, for, 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 for the pill, right? It's things like screening for cervical cancer and breast cancer. It's things like um, postnatal depression screening. There's loads of different ways the system um, reaches out to women, uh, all, all individually for very good reasons, but at the same time doesn't reach out to blokes. And so the blokes just aren't, uh, there aren't as many access points into the system for men. So the system is owned. And then just in the way that you said about that, you know, that, that common experience in a relationship where, where a man finally sort of like prizes himself open and starts to share something and his partner jumps in too quickly and, 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 and squashes it all down again. The system kind of does the same, right? It, it closes the doors, keeps the doors closed to men and then men, men reach out Again, not through any kind of conspiracy. Um, mm. Doesn't always know how to respond to men because it doesn't have many men going in there. So the men shows up, they they respond badly, slap him down. You know, don't, don't you talk to me like that. You can't see someone, you know, because blokes are like, I'm in distress. I need to see someone now. Fucking hell! And it'll be like, it, it's rather than, oh, great, you've reached out for help. How can mm. we support you? It's, 
Marco, you speak to me in that tone of voice. I mean, until you calm down, you can't come and say, you know, or you're yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever it is. You know, all the different ways that the system inadvertently slaps men down. And part of that is because we don't have an ongoing relationship with the help giving system, which is why, you know, ultimately the best thing is being embedded in a supportive network of people who know you, see you on a daily or weekly basis, and know when you're going off the rails and not yourself and are able to reach out and they've already got a rapport and a relationship with you. So having that conversation is easy. You know, the best kind of support is that kind of informal support that's grown up around you uh, throughout your life. And that's not to say that we don't need professionals. We're not going to try, not making a case to put you guys out of a job, right? You know, there, there, are, there are times when we, we need professional help, but ideally, we will surround ourselves with people who who are able to help and support us with most things in life to prevent us from getting to the point where we need that sort of really serious professional intervention, or at least reducing the times when we do. Yeah, because all of that stuff, these social connections and finding our place in the world within that community, that's all therapy as well. You know, there's one in uh, Johan Hari's book, Lost Connections, which is around depression and anxiety. And um, he spoke about this guy, I can't remember what country it was, but he was a particular type of farmer. And um, in an accident, he lost his leg. And after losing his leg, he got super, super depressed, right? And and they had no concept in this country of antidepressant pills, which is the first point of call that someone in the in the West would take. And so what they did, he couldn't do his whatever agricultural job it was. So they got him a cow and he was able to become a dairy farmer, didn't have to move around, and his depression cleared up. And so they he, Johan Hari in the book said, Well, that cow was an antidepressant because it was mm. kind of a link for him finding some sort of purpose and being able to work again and contribute to the community. Well, what happened with me in the army, you know, I was, I was part of a, a big group, a, a, you know, I had my, my troop and my regiment and everything. As soon as I blew my knee out, I was, you know, on the outer and then treated really poorly. And, mm. yeah, no wonder I got medically discharged with a physical injury, but also mental injuries as well. And you spoke about the, the we're all kind of just consumer machines now. And I think that is when we, if you imagine when we were back in tribes and everyone had their place and it's like we knew who we were in the tribe and what value we could add. But now it's like we're in this social media world and we don't quite know where we fit in. So now we're trying to fit in by, you know, well, I wear these kind of clothes. I play these kind of video games. I drink this kind of beer. It's like we're trying to fit in through these, you know, surface level labels because we're just trying to find some meaning within a group, which we can't have trouble finding a group these days, especially men, which is why we said these, these uh, you know, men's groups that are popping up all over the country are so fantastic. Yeah, I mean, and you can't, I mean, and it's been amazing I mean, what 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 a bloody um, social experiment the world of social media is, right? I mean, we're just, we just we just take it for granted now. But it's like I can remember sending my first email. You know, it's like uh, I, I I I actually can't understand how I used to be able to walk around without a phone. But I know I did for about thirty years. You know, <laughs> and you used to go to a have, you used to have a ten pence piece in your pocket in case you needed to make a phone call in, in a little box. Um, but yeah, what, what an experiment that is and what opportunities it's brought, but what, what, what damage is it doing? We, don't, we, we, we still don't fully know and we're, le- we're experimenting with a whole generation as they learn to, learn to navigate that world. But it's been amazing, again, with one of the really positives that's come out of the, um, the, the pandemic was just amazing. Overnight, so many like, you know, different groups and, 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 and social support were just removed. It's amazing how many of those quickly moved to go online. And it ranged from a, 
it, it ranged from like you know school groups right through to some guys down in Victoria. Uh, there's a group called um, Omni, Older Man New Ideas. Their oldest bloke, there's several blokes in their nineties, and they 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 were all meeting on Zoom together. You know, age <laughs> fantastic. You know, that's uh, awesome. Age didn't age didn't have to be um, a barrier. No, not not everyone has has the resources, either the the the, the money resources or the actual wherewithal of, of using technology. But it has created some fantastic opportunities to connect. But what every single group told us, pretty much right across the board, was whilst it was increasing opportunities for people to access, and even people who previously couldn't get to a group, whether that's because they live 500 miles away, or because in some cases, there were guys who were just so depressed they didn't want to get out of bed, but they could actually bear to sort of like sit in bed and dial in on a smartphone, right? So yep. it increased access overnight. Um, but all of them said, even though it's increased access, and even though it provides something very unique and special, this online connection piece, nothing beats meeting face to face. It's, mm. it's, it's not, still not the same. And so again, with all the kind of choice we have in the world, um, our, our challenge as modern human beings, I think, in, in modern economies, is how do is, is balance. Is how do we balance work and life and family, and how do we balance aspiring to have the best life possible, but also being fully appreciative of what we've already got? You know, how do we how do we connect to people all over the world, but make sure we actually stay connected and know the name of the person who lives next door to us? Um, and getting that balance right is you know because again we tend to fall into social media. Is it good or is it bad? Yeah. You know. <laughs> That's Kids right. Today, are they worse or are they better than they were twenty years ago? It's like. And I think I think balance is the key word. That's kind of where we started the conversation. It's probably a good place to wrap up is instead of getting out to these polarities is we need to find that balance. And that is very individual um, for us men and women as we go on this journey of health. Um, Glenn, before we finish up, it's been so good having you on, mate. We could have you on for another couple of hours, I'm sure. But I spent too much time with my amazing airport story. Um, where can people find you and your work? Where's the best place for them to check it out? I do hope the airport story makes the edit. It's going to because I'm editing it. <laughs> I, look, I look forward to the book and the film and the, the serialization. And the sequel. Yeah. And the sequel. <laughs> Ryan's airport story too. Eh? <laughs> and this time it's personal. I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it as a meditative exercise class and people have to sit there and listen as a tolerance builder. They're just going to listen to Ryan's airport story. That'll be probably your most popular meditation class, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe a cure for insomnia. Who knows? So, um... All right, that's so where, where do we find you? Right, where can we find you? Right. That's enough about my story, all right? Where do we find you, Glenn? Australian Men's Health Forum. Just Google Australian Men's Health Forum or um, AMHF. Australian Men's Health Forum, amhf.org.au. Um, awesome. Come and check us out. Awesome. Everyone, thing. check them out. Love the work you're doing, Glenn. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on today, mate. Keep doing the work that you're doing. Um, we appreciate you so much, mate, and we hope to speak to you again soon. Thanks, guys. Been awesome, Nick. Been awesome, Ryan. Cheers. Thanks, uh, buddy. Bye. See ya. Thank you for tuning in to the Woke Blokes podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. Also, leave us a five-star rating. We thank you so much, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you.